Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Boxes and Lines. Today, we have an internal guest, and he goes by one name. He's like Prince Bono, Madonna. I'm trying to think of someone else with one name. This is our guy, Boris. Boris. His name is Boris. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Sorry. Hello. Welcome, Boris. Uh, Boris joined us uh, from Interactive Brokers, where he was for a short period of time. And prior to that, he was a long-standing ISC options exchange employee. John Ramsey, you want to say anything to Boris? <laughs> uh, what don't I want to say to Boris? I've been looking forward to this podcast for a long time because Boris is Boris keeps us all entertained and we entertain him. I, I actually, I'm just worried that this one is going to go completely off the rails, but. I also want to mention to everyone that I don't expect to get any complaints that we couldn't hear Boris because he might be the loudest person I've yeah. ever interacted with in my entire career. Perhaps on Wall Street, I yes. think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I really just want to make sure that I'm loud enough for everyone to, to hear. But, but I'm, I'm so happy to, uh, to join you, to join you guys. And Ronan, I just want to say that I, I hope I do really well as a guest and that if I do well enough, I, I can just do these with you instead of John Ramsey going forward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, nice, nice. That that yeah. was the original plan, but uh, John <laughs> thought I was inviting him. It's a little awkward that we've done about seventeen of these together. Yeah, <laughs> I'm almost that gonna was... miss the guy, you know. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, John, how do you want? Why do you kick this off? Do you have any uh, funny questions for Boris? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Is it too early to blurt out that my favorite Wall Street movie is is Wall Street? Oh, no, no, no. That's completely out of sequence. You have to oh. like wait until the end. I think yeah. I would th think you'd know the protocol by this With point. With suspense. Or I don't yeah. know. It's, yeah, it's just that it's just that people struggle very mightily to come up with uh, movies that are not Wall Street when it really ought to be Wall Street. And I just want to go on the record to say that it is it is Wall Street. It is, That's fair. I yeah. have a new question that I ask people now, but no one gave me an answer last time I asked it. I've taken to making uh, like summer cocktails and drinks now that we're at home for the extended period of time. And do you have a particular drink that you like to make now in the summer or is it just a straight up Irish whiskey? You know, it is, it is straight up Irish whiskey. I do not, I'm not very good at making cocktails, never was. So for me, it's always either just like a beer or or, or, or whiskey, which I now drink without any ice in it, as per your uh, instructions. Yes, good mm. man. Yeah. yeah, I drink See, ice. He, he, he listens yeah. to me, Ramsey. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also your recommend recommendations for uh, an alternate brand of Irish whiskey, as I used to drink scotch, uh, it's, it's so much more affordable that I'm finding that I'm drinking about three to four times as much. So, <laughs> so that's that's on you, boss. Well, is that a, and you're drinking at the you're drinking right now? I imagine I am, probably it, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. So you hail from Russia. You actually you speak right. You speak fluent Russian. I know because when we used to be in the office, I would hear you speaking fluent Russian on the phone periodically during the course of the day. Yeah, you know when I when I started in the industry uh, back in '99, back at back at ISC, and there were like twelve or thirteen of us in the office, uh, not dissimilar to how when IX started, there were so few of you guys in your old offices, but also being like a, like a very uh, young person and coming out of school, I would talk to my mom on a pretty regular basis because she would check up on me at work and I would speak to her in Russian. And that is when I first realized truly how loud I was and I was getting shushed <laughs> all day long. And so I, it, it now, of course, in the office, when that happens and when I have to speak Russian to a family member, I quiet down and I recognize how suspicious 
that must yeah. sound considering every other conversation I have mm -hmm. sounds like I'm screaming at somebody. Yeah, yeah. So you speak in very hushed tones in Russian to yeah. somebody you call your mother. We're not idiots, Boris. So it's all right. We don't judge. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Another interesting thing about Boris is he drives a Tesla. And I had the opportunity to drive in it with him once to go to a client meeting. And I think Boris needs the latest software upgrade because he seems to think that this car will do everything. And it's a really cool car. But we took about five wrong turns. I was so busy uh, showing off how cool the car was. I uh, completely uh, stopped paying attention to the GPS. And I think probably easily added a half an hour to your journey. And the best part of that journey, as I recall, is at some point Ronan turns to me and says, well, don't you have GPS that talks at you, that just tells you where to go? And I said, yeah, but you know, I have the sound turn all the way down because I, I just don't want to hear it. Yeah, so we, we hope you enjoy listening to the words of wisdom <laughs> Boris is going to dispense now uh, when he can't operate a self-driving vehicle. But in yeah. any case, it, Did it you, is a pretty if it, cool it, When I was in the car, he got it to park itself. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the only kind of car that I can drive because I couldn't possibly operate a car that requires actual manual intervention all the time. Mm -hmm. John Ramsey, let's ask a question. Let's, <laughs> okay. let's get this a, fucking let's, thing let's going. Let's try, uh, so uh, after the preliminary. So, Boris, you have been, as one would say, you've been around the block in the industry a time or two. You've done a lot of different things, including in the options arena. So you've had a fair amount of experience there. So help the rest of us to understand the options markets and the trends in the options markets. I have to say, it's still kind of a, it's a mystery to me. Number one, why are there so many friggin' option exchanges? It seems like they're, they keep like replicating like rabbits. What do, why are there so many and how do options markets distinguish themselves from all of the others? And why are each, why is each one of these like an, a value add? So I, I would never say each one is a value add. Although to be fair with the members exchange launching, MIAX opening up an equities market, and uh, the long-term stock exchange, LTSC, potentially launching at some point this year, the actual number of options and stock exchanges will be quite, quite similar at the end of this year. The other difference, uh, however, is that as we talk about the explosion in retail order flow over the past few months, the move to free commissions, the explosion in retail volume, and therefore the amount that's reported to the TRF, the trade reporting facility, there is no trade reporting facility on the option side. So there is no off exchange trading. So in our side of the business, as exchanges, we compete for approximately 60% of the volume that's on exchange. Although these days, sometimes it's as, it's as low as 55%. In the options world, the larger number of exchanges actually compete for 100% of uh, the options volume. And that's probably the major difference is that the internalization rules are probably the biggest and most significant difference in terms of how both retail and institutional order flow uh, is interacted with by the brokers and wholesale market makers on that side of the business. And, and I imagine the range of participants is fair amount um, different too, right? I mean, you've got, you obviously have market makers, you have a lot of professional participants. You've got probably not as much retail, although there's some retail segment, I guess, in, 
institution. Actually, no, uh, no, John Ramsey. Uh, in no, fact, the incorrect market, John Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, that is incorrect, uh, John Ramsey. In fact, even as we observe the equity market experience a much higher component of retail order flow over the past few months, the options market has actually historically been more retail. And I recognize that it's counterintuitive because options are considered to be a, a more sophisticated product. But just historically speaking, I know when I started in the electronic options trading business with IC 20 years ago, the common wisdom was that in terms of the client volume in options, 80% was retail and only 20% was institutional. Over the years, it got closer to a 50-50, 60-40. But I suspect, much like in equities, the retail component has probably exploded. And, and yet, you know, the retail clientele tends to be a little bit more sophisticated. But frankly, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true right now with all the stories you hear about, you know, how many retail accounts are being opened, options volumes, experiencing records along with equity volumes. It's not obvious that everybody's particularly sophisticated. So let me ask this question then. If there's like 16 options exchanges, soon to be 16 equities exchanges, it's, it's fair to say virtually most equity exchanges here, the three big families have several exchanges each with the, the only really discernible difference between each one being their pricing model, whether it's a taker maker or a maker taker. So it's really sort of like pricing is how, it's not me saying it, they've publicly said it's how they compete, how they differentiate. Is that the same thing in options? Are the 16 venues, are there any of those venues doing something remarkably different to the rest there's no speed bump in that in that market that I'm aware of, but like, is, is that why there are 16 there as well? It's very similar. So uh, pricing is definitely one of the primary differentiators, but there is one a significant way in which uh, options markets have evolved uh, differently. That difference is that options market share uh, is actually dominated by exchanges that are not price time priority, which is the most prevalent and virtually exclusively now ever since NASDAQ's PSX moved away from their size pro rata model. And uh, everybody's now price time priority. In options, the majority of market share is actually at the exchanges that employ a pro rata allocation model, a size pro rata allocation model with a constituency of uh, retail priority as well, both for retail and in some cases, institutional uh, investors. And at the same time, there are plenty of, of these venues that are also pure price time markets like inequities. And then of course- JR is right. This shit's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was following him very clearly, Ronan. I'm sorry if you like dropped the thread. At some yeah, point. But no, I, thought, I think that's fascinating. And actually it ties into the other question I was going to ask, which all of the concerns about speed advantages and people take advantage of speed advantages, that's the same thing in the options market, it's the same issue. I would imagine one thing that would impact that is if you have a some kind of pro rata model as opposed to price time, then speed, perhaps relative speed isn't quite as important. So that's, a, that's an excellent question, uh, John Rand. Thank you, thank you, um, thank you, Boris. See, and, Ronan? Um, and and pro rata, size pro rata uh, definitely came out of a, of a desire to achieve two things. One was to encourage as much size as possible at the NBBO uh, in a market that is almost exclusively quote driven. Because of the number of options out there, there's something like 900,000 individually quoted option series. 
market maker quotes, you can't really do without them. There's not a lot of client uh, order flow that will populate the screens without market makers. So pro rata definitely encourages a little bit more size than a price time uh, model, especially with uh, so much fragmentation, even within the same universe. And it also, of course, uh, as you point out, affects one other aspect, which is the race to the top of the book. On pro rata exchanges, where you are rewarded based on the size that you show rather than how quickly you get there, there's not really the speed race. On the price time markets, it is quite similar. However, having said that, in terms of uh, aggressive uh, taking models and the speed to take uh, displayed markets, a lot of those types of dynamics are uh, virtually identical in the options market, uh, the same way that people price index and ETF uh, options off of related uh, events in the futures market and the underlying market, the race to make sure that you get to that price level and all sorts of latency arbitrage related issues, those are quite similar in the options market. It's interesting, but it, it just doesn't seem like people that this is as controversial or people complain much about uh, as much about this shit in the options markets. And maybe it's just because it's more complicated and obscure, and it's hard for people to wrap their minds around. Or maybe that's just me. That, that's, that's definitely part of it. I think uh, the options market gets a little bit less publicity. Although, you know, again, now in this environment, probably more than, than usual. But I think it's always a little bit secondary to the equities uh, market conversations. But it, in terms of inside the options industry, it is an important topic and, and even the players, uh, there is an enormous amount of overlap in the participants. Most of the large equities participants are also very large options mm. participants. But of course, there are some large options players that are not as active in the, uh, in the equity space. So it seems to me like somebody like IEX with its emphasis on fair, transparent, and simpler markets could really have a big impact in the options space, you know? I love, I love when John asks really... questions that way. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's almost like surprising to him. Wouldn't it be a novel for IEX to do something like that in options? Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah, we, we will see. Indubitably. <laughs> Actually, I have a question for you. So talked a lot about options now. Boris, you've worked here for a while and uh, obviously we're strictly focused on equities for the time being. What was the most surprising thing or the thing that still surprises you or the biggest difference you found between working primarily in options most of your career to now equities? Excellent question, uh, boss. <laughs> See, Ramsey? God, you're such a kiss-up. Yeah, I think, I I think I'm up to yeah. one. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm also just giving myself time to think to come up with something uh, clever and legitimate, but I do have one. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I'm all ears. We're all ears. And, you know, I sort of knew this intuitively from my uh, experience back at IC when we had the IC stock exchange and invested in direct edge. So I, I've always had a, a decent peripheral knowledge of the equities market, but it wasn't until I got to IEX and the laser focus on execution quality and just the quality of the trading experience that I really noticed what a difference it was versus how participants trade options view the options market. And it's not that there's more an emphasis on the quality of the execution, but the time horizon is incredibly different. So when I started learning all about scheduled algorithms and how people view their time horizons and urgency, a lot of that stuff for me was quite interesting because 
as someone who's most familiar with options participants, on that side of the business, the participants, whether they're retail or institutional or professional, they tend to look at options and options trading as a way to capture a moment in time. They're not necessarily working orders over large stretches of time. They do with some exceptions if somebody's using options to replace their equity position. So instead of buying stock, they might be selling puts to leg into yeah. a stock position. But generally speaking, it's a trade. options traders trade in moments in time, in volatility. When they decide whether it's a retail investor or a large hedge fund that decides that they want to take a position, they typically want to get done and they want to get done right away. There's a lot more capital commitment that still goes on on a block basis. And there's not this concept of, you know, I'm starting the schedule and I'm running it till the end of the day. Uh, volatility might change, you know, dynamics in the market change so frequently that they're trying to get done in the shortest period of time. And that's really the biggest difference in terms of all of the statistics and all of the things that we look at at IEX that measure performance. That part of it is extremely different on the option side. But then where, where do you think that floor-based trading fits in or does it fit in any longer in the option space? It feels like uh, the options markets are you know, like destined to be even more fully electronic than, than equity markets are. Is there any place for floor trading anymore? Yeah, you know, you would think so. And I'm definitely on, on and have always been on that side of the equation. At ISC, we ended up with three options of changes. We never seriously considered opening up a floor. And yet, all these years later, there are still, count them, actually five options exchange floors and box. Uh, the smaller uh, of the independent exchanges that runs an options market actually opened a trading floor a couple of uh, years ago. Are they actually trading on them? Very, like, very little from yeah. what I uh, understand. Okay. However, in terms of New York, which operates a floor for Amex options in New York and for ARCA options on the West Coast, there's the Philadelphia floor still for NASDAQ in, uh, in, in Philly and obviously the CBOE, which, which has their floor for multiply listed options. And of course, they have a very vibrant floor for their SPX, uh, their exclusively traded options contract, which is one of the biggest derivatives contracts in the world. I would say options trading should most definitely be fully electronic, just like I believe it should be fully electronic in, uh, in equities trading. For options, uh, the floor still play a larger role, particularly for the facilitation of large, for large trades. I believe personally that there's enough functionality and sophistication that those floors don't need to exist and that clients in options would have a better experience overall if they didn't. But yeah, but you get but you get like the cool floor space and all those like crazy hand motions and people like jostling into each other and fighting for position and you know it's like exciting. You know what I think that is what the busy S and P options pit actually probably still looks like in Chicago as they're getting set to reopen it shortly. I don't believe that's how any of the options floors in the other areas look like at all and haven't looked that way probably in almost twenty years. It's just not the activity. You got another question there, Ronan? I'm up to one, so I was hoping you'd come up with a decent one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about transaction pricing, which is you know, an issue in options, presumably, but certainly in the equity space as well. One of the things that's unique and interesting about you, Boris, I mean, people complain about all the complexity of exchange pricing models and make or taker and all of that. 
you actually help to design some of the shit. You have to help to create some of the complexity. So that, basically, that's part of why you're at IEX is, is to atone for all yeah. of the best things, I assume. Yeah, among yeah. other things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for what you've done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. you know, everything uh, uh, that, that I may have done or designed as far as options pricing, I learned my lessons by very closely watching the equities market. I mean, we, uh, one of the other odd things about options is that while uh, stock trading decimalized and started trading in penny increments back in, I guess it was 2001, 2002, until about 2007, 2008, all equity options traded in nickels under $3 and dimes over $3. And to this day, even though they recently made the penny pilot, which was around for like a dozen years, even though they finally made it permanent, it's still not the entire industry. So there's still some options that trade in nickels and dimes. But it was when penny, one cent wide and one cent MPV pricing that showed up in the options market back in 07, 08, that was when options pricing became much more prevalent. Because as you can imagine, when everything is at least a nickel wide, or dime wide, uh, rebates at the 30 cent or 30 mil equivalent level, they don't really make much of a difference for the constituents, especially in the options market for people who create quotes. But once things do go to penny increments, all of a sudden a 30 cent rebate or in options where there is no 30 cent cap, the cap is closer to 50 cents, even though it's unofficial, all of a sudden the rebate and the taker fee add up to a full tick. And in some cases, when you add in some of the other fees can be over a penny or rather over a dollar per contract. But yes, when, when we uh, expanded to two exchanges and then three, one of the things that we uh, started having to do to compete was to create some very fancy volume discounts and uh, tiered, tiered pricing. So that, that definitely became a huge part of the competition. And, and talking about market complexity, I mean, that's a huge source of all of the market complexity right is there i mean with with in that regard it's just so happened maybe timely that this court decision just came out today striking down the SEC or remanding the sec's transaction fee pilot which most people who are leaving uh, uh listening to our podcast know it's been like a long long time in the making and so now the SEC is going to have to, in some sense, go back to the drawing board. Any observations about that, either you, Ronan, or because I know that you have very perceptive thoughts about these things, too. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first and quick. I, I mean, I think it's absolute nonsense that a regulatory body can't institute a pilot on something that so many different segments of the marketplace have spoken out upon uh, about for 10 plus years in the wake of so many other useless pilots that have been conducted, I just find it surprising that a, a pilot can't even be placed. And the, the, the surprise is that the reason it was stopped is because the other exchanges for their own motives literally sued their regulators to stop it. And that's just surprising, frustrating, uh, disappointing that that kind of nonsense bullshit can occur to be completely frank. But you know, what can you do? We march on and perhaps the SEC will, will go back to the drawing board and come back with a different approach. I think the ruling was more not a negative thing on banning rebates. It was just that the 
the it wasn't proven that rebates were bad in order to run a pilot. So if they were to go back to the drawing board and try pilot part two, they're going to have to show some information or data around why they believe rebates to be harmful. You know, to sum it up in a word, it's pretty disappointing and also, I believe in my heart, disingenuous from these other exchanges who are looking to protect a revenue model of theirs and their only differentiation really is the different pricing levels that is driven by the maker-taker-taker-maker model. So we're, I've, I have pretty strong feelings on this. Well, I can tell that you do, and they're very Boo. well expressed, too. Boo. Thank you. Yeah. Boo. Now, Boris. Thank you. I have, I have similar uh, uh, thoughts. They're, they're, they're mostly just louder. <laughs> like most of your thoughts. Yes, <laughs> please, Molly, go ahead. So if you can just imagine Ronan just screaming the same thing, that's basically how I feel. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I, I do think it's unfortunate and disappointing is probably, I agree, the best way to describe it. Again, Ronan's right. Given some of the other pilots and experiments, and if it seems really uh, unfair almost that what was a very well-designed, very thought out, measured pilot, not a wholesale forcing of, of a change, very well thought out, targeted pilot with a timeline. And to see the SEC essentially get penalized for not being more forceful about a conclusion that a lot of market participants do believe in the space that's that that's unfortunate and and hopefully there's there's another attempt made and and we have a chance to see what it looks like in the future well i do think that this is clearly the issue is not going away right even if the court had uh, ruled differently than what it would mean is that the sec could go along with the pilot they could go ahead with it but then they would have to conduct conduct the pilot and everybody would get to argue over what the results of the pilot actually showed and then you'd have another round of discussion and and rulemaking and all of that so it's not like this issue is going to be resolved by this court decision Rebates are not going away anytime soon, but the debate is not going away either. The intensity of the feelings and the objections to current exchange practices by an awful lot of people, including institutional investors, are just as strong now um, and will continue to be. So it's just, it feels to me like it's one skirmish in a long war. It's just going to take longer to play out. John's choking up here. He's so disappointed. I'm getting, I get very emotional about this. <laughs> I get very... But you're right. That's a good way to look at it. It's... This is definitely not something that's just going to go away forever. I could argue that what the exchanges, even though I totally disagree with them, did is, is smart. I mean, you have a new regime coming into trading and markets and the chairman towards the end of this year. And they basically stayed this and delayed this almost to the end of their term. And let's see who comes in and how palatable tackling this you know, becomes for them again. So you, you might have another group of people who, of course, have other, you know, objectives when they take the role at the SEC. So I guess, I, 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 again, I think it was a completely disingenuous effort by all three of them, NYSE, NASDAQ, and CBOE. Take that to the grave. Smart business decision in that it worked out well for them. Shame. The industry lost out in this, really. But we'll see what happens. Onward and upward, from an IEX standpoint, there's no real sour grapes in other than we, we disagree completely with, with the uh, ruling, but um, we have a lot of good things on the horizon that we're excited about. And uh, U.S. equity market structure will continue to evolve. And what I would say is I do think trading in markets, this group, 
have done a really good job of trying to affect change in market structure, more so than any regime I've seen over my term on Wall Street the last 10, 11 years. So they should be commended for that. And, um, you know, in the end, you can't win every skirmish, as Ramsey calls them, and we'll, we'll, we'll fight again. Absolutely. Well put, boss. Thank you. It was very, very well done. Storm the Bastille. Storm the Bastille. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Boris, what is my other question for you is what is your favorite Henny Youngman uh, line? I don't don't have a a, a good one. And sometimes you make these old-timey references, and I feel like I should know what they are. And another time I would remember. Yeah. And right now I, I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's claiming ignorance. He's feigning ignorance, but you know, <laughs> oh, he doesn't want to say, take my wife, please. please, take my wife, please. That's one, of the, <laughs> one of the most enjoyable things about having Boris in the office is that he shares with me a, an affection for hammy kind of what I call borscht belt humor. Well, that was going to be the name of our rival underground podcast from what do we call it from the borscht belt? Yeah, to the to the, to, to the beltway from the borscht belt to the beltway. Right. Yeah, right. if we listeners can still do it, you know, listeners can, can believe it. it. These these two were trying to usurp me and run their own podcast called <laughs> "From the Borscht Belt to the Beltway." <laughs> and who says you thought boxes and lines was a bad name? Fuck me. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, you nice. you you can you can vote in um yeah. the social Send media your of your preference. If you want to hear, hear these two hemis, I'll step down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd but be really disappointed no if they do. Cronin, right? No yeah, sour grapes. No, no. no sour grapes. Sorry. I'm, I'm in a happy place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can call I'm... her podcast Sour Grape. <laughs> I'll sue you guys. It seems to work in this day and age. It does work. Yeah. yeah. You it's can... amazing how well it yeah. works. You know, on the surface, you would think, that can't work. And yet it does. Yeah. Isn't it? It's a mystery. It's a mystery, your, but it's a beautiful ball thing. Take and go home and lob a lawsuit at them. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite Wall Street movie? It's Die Hard. Die Hard Perfect. is my favorite Wall Street movie. I was just saying the Wall Street thing, you know, before, because that's what everybody wants to hear. But uh, I would say that Die Hard, where, you know, it's, it's about the gold. They're near Wall Street, I believe. It's been a while. Oh, yeah, the third one, right? Yeah, that's Which great. It's the one with the gold with the New York Fed. And yeah. The- mm. that, that was the best one, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's not the first one, right? No. The first one was like the Nagamoto Tower or something. Oh, the and then, yes. then there was the airport. And then there was the one downtown. Then, then Die Hard 2, then, is my favorite uh, Wall Street uh, movie. Wow. If that's the one about the movie. No, the third one is The Gold. Yeah. One, of the, one of the Die Hard <laughs> movies is my favorite Wall Street movie. It's number three. Number three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> also Wall Street. <laughs> oh yeah great that's lame yeah. well, i know it is lame Horace, you've been a phenomenal guest and i'm sure we'll invite you back again and maybe i'll invite you back permanently with just you and i john john can he have your mic no no we cannot i bought this out of my own funds i mean oh, I really fine the audience yeah. decide i feel like there should be like a little uh, vote on 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 the, on the twitter all right boxes and lines is our borscht belt right. on the line yeah John, I, I love you, man. We'll, 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 we can still do a podcast. We just won't yeah, yeah, record. Right. Yeah, well, right. it's, it's, been, it's been a, you know, you guys waited long enough to invite me, but I appreciate <laughs> being here. I really, uh, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. We, 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 we had to. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. thank you to our listeners. And thank you, Boris. And thank you, John Ramsey, for being you. 
Thank you, Ronald. God, God bless to everyone. Also, thank, thanks to Mother. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.